this morning in our journey through the Beatitudes as we finish our journey in the Beatitudes. We're still going to be in the Sermon on the Mount for a while. But as we look at the final of the eight Beatitudes, we want to look at Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 10. It says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward is great in heaven. For so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Are you persecuted? Do you face persecution? What are you persecuted for? Hopefully as we go through this text this morning, we'll have a better understanding of what real persecution is and how we face it. This morning we want to look at persecution. If you're living out the first seven Beatitudes as we studied them, if you're truly internalizing those first four and if the three that we've just finished are being manifested in your life, you should be facing persecution to some degree. We've talked about it many times in our nation today. We don't truly know what persecution is. I believe it's coming, and we see true persecution throughout the world. We've seen it throughout history in those who have stood for the faith, those who have become martyrs. But persecution does exist for us, even as we sit here, even as we live in our environment today. If you, as I said, if you are living out, if the first seven Beatitudes are being realized in your life, you should be facing persecution to some degree, in some manner. This morning we want to look at the act of persecution. What is persecution? Defining it, describing what it looks like. We want to look at the effect of persecution. What is the result of of the persecution that we're facing on earth and in heaven for eternity. And then finally, we want to look at the example. We want to look at, as Jesus says, for so they persecuted the prophets who were before you. We want to look at some biblical examples. And then we want to look at one modern example among many. Well, as our text starts, blessed are those who are persecuted. Sitting here this morning, how would you describe the act of being persecuted? The dictionary defines it as hostility or ill treatment. Going back to verse 11, he says, Blessed are you when others revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely. These are three different aspects of persecution. We define general persecution as just general hostility. But looking at these other two, what does it mean to revile? It means to criticize in an abusive or angrily insultive manner. To revile someone means that it's directed at that person. When someone reviles you, that means they get in your face and they tell you exactly what they think of you. 
in what you're doing. Their point is to tear you down, to break you, to crush you, to break your will. Some people are pretty good at this, aren't they? Some of them are actually pretty proud of how they can manipulate people, how they can strong-arm people, how they can put people in their place. The next one we want to look at these three is to utter evil against people falsely. This isn't to someone's face. It's not what's intended by this statement. It means to tear you down to other people. To speak evil to you, of you, to other people. The theory is that, okay, I tried to confront you. I tried to break you face to face and you're not listening to me. So I'm going to try to apply some more pressure. I'm going to get others to help me. I'm going to get others on my side and we're going to break you. We're going to cause you to turn. We're going to cause you to surrender. That is persecution in general. In Webster's Dictionary, I've alluded to this a little bit, but Webster's Dictionary goes a little farther in the definition. It gives the why of persecution. It's talking about hostility and this confrontational attitude. But it says that it's for the purpose of punishment or to change someone's mind. You see, that is the point of persecution no matter the reason for it, no matter the why for it. The point is, the the desired result is to change that person's mind. Have you ever been pressured by someone? Maybe for the type of phone you have. Maybe the team that you cheer for. Maybe for lifestyle choices like the food you eat or the clothes you wear. Maybe it's the school that you attend. You say, Kevin, those things all seem very trivial. And yeah, they are. But it still kind of gets your dander up, doesn't it? Still gets you to defend yourself in a way, doesn't it? And those things and many other things that we can feel a little slighted on are actually just personal preference, personal choices and directions for our lives. They're not necessarily sin. They're just ways that we have chosen to live our lives, and there may not be a right, there may not be a wrong, but yet we face persecution over those things, don't we, to a degree. And sometimes we blur that line. We think that what we hold is so important, and we think that others should hold it with us should agree with us. And we don't understand why they don't. Have you ever persecuted anyone? Why did you do it? Did you want the best for them? If you wanted the best for them, persecution isn't God's way of bringing the best to someone. Persecution is making it, to persecute someone is to make it all about you. What you think is right, what you want, how it affects you. That's not God's way. He doesn't want us to break someone, to crush someone. Ask you a question when you're 
in the process of persecuting someone. Maybe you didn't make the conscious choice to persecute them. But you realize in the midst of it that you're being pretty hard on that person. You're trying to force that person to agree with you. You're trying to force that person to see your point of view. Are you actually more offended than you are concerned about that person? You see, when we get offended about things, when we make the choice to be offended, what do we do? We get defensive, don't we? You say, Kevin, you're saying that to be offended is a choice? It is a choice. It's a hard choice. Because when someone offends you, it hurts. When someone sins against you, you are understandably offended. But if you don't choose to be offended just when someone sins against you, you can be offended by the truth. So just because it rubs you the wrong way doesn't mean that you should dismiss it. It may be truth that you needed to hear. It may be an adjustment that you need to make, sin that you need to address. So I encourage you this morning not to default to being offended when you're confronted. Because like I said, when you do that, your automatic response is to defend. Being genuinely concerned, on the other hand, makes you compassionate. Now that concern will depend on the source of the offense. If someone has sinned against you, instead of getting defensive and trying to tear them down, when you are concerned about that person, you will feel compassion about their state, the state of their heart, and the sin in their heart, the agreements that they've made that are causing them to offend you in this way. When someone confronts you with truth and you approach it with concern, instead of feeling offended, then your concern turns toward yourself and asking yourself what God is trying to tell you, what God is trying to show you. And you will respond to that truth with compassion also and thankfulness rather than defense and anger. So when you, in the past, have persecuted someone, did you really want the best for them? Or did you want to feel better about your own choices? Did you want to relieve the guilt that you were feeling? Did you want to be proven right in what you had said or what you had done or in what you were feeling? It's a good question. But Jesus, in this text, is not talking about being persecuted for preferences. What's he talking about being persecuted for? In verse 10, he says, Blessed are those who are persecuted. And again, he doesn't stop there. As all the way through these Beatitudes, he's qualified the statements. He says, Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Remember the one standard? Remember the lighthouse we sung about this morning? Without that lighthouse, where would this ship be? Without Jesus' standard of righteousness, where would our hearts be? Who would, be, who would we be? How wretched would we really be? Being persecuted for standing against sin 
is what Jesus was talking about. Who is righteousness? Going on to verse 11. Jesus says, on my account. Back to that banking analogy from last Sunday. On my account, reconciled to me, looking to honor me. To embrace my righteousness, says Christ. That is the persecution, the purpose for persecution that Jesus is addressing in these verses. Is for his righteousness. Not self-righteousness. Not because of us. Jesus is talking about the price that we will pay for standing for him. Not for what we want, but for who he is. What is your motivation for standing for truth? Why are you approaching someone for something that you believe you see in their lives? Is it because you want to be right? Or is it because you want others to be right with God? You see, we can approach people because we want to put them in their place. We want to show them that we're right. Instead of bringing them to the point of being right with God. What are your motivations for approaching people? There's a big difference between the two. Standing for truth isn't easy. First, you have to discern for yourself what truth is. You know, we have questions as we study and as we mature in our faith and our perspectives change, as the layers of humanity are peeled away, we get a deeper and deeper understanding of the true nature of God. But in the meantime, we're trying to interact with other people. So standing on truth, it can be hard at times. Oftentimes it can. But it doesn't mean we shouldn't do it. It just means we need to do it with compassion and care and not self-righteousness and not about proving ourselves right. Proving that we're wiser than someone else or more knowledgeable than someone else. But in truly seeking goodness for those who we come in contact with. And not goodness, godliness for those who we come in contact with. So Kevin, it's hard to stand for righteousness, to stand for truth. What is the effect of it? What happens when we do stand for truth? We're going to face persecution. We're going to face hard times. When we speak truth and we live it obediently, we will be persecuted. Because guess what? Others don't like to be offended either. And they get defensive. And guess what? Sometimes when we stand for truth, we're not going to get it right. We're going to come up short in some areas. And it's going to hurt because other people are going to point those things out to us. Sometimes lovingly. Sometimes not so lovingly. Because again, they're dealing with their own sense of being offended. But what are the other effects? People will try to discredit us. They'll be so offended at our attempts to live according to the nature of God that 
they'll try to disprove us, try to pick away at what they see as our armor. We will be reviled. People will say hateful things to us. They'll say that we're not loving. They'll say that we're not compassionate. They'll say that we're not open-minded. They'll question our holiness. They'll speak all kinds of evil against us. They'll tell half-truths. They'll try to say things just enough to make us look bad instead of showing us in a good light. Sometimes they'll even just completely make things up because they're determined to discredit us. And the only way we're going to stand in the midst of that persecution is if we're standing on truth and not trying to defend ourselves or trying to justify ourselves or demand our own rights. The only way we'll stand in the midst of persecution is if we're standing on truth. Life will not be comfortable for us here on earth when we're standing on truth. Jesus makes that plain. But according to the verses that we're looking at, we do have some other blessings. The kingdom of heaven is to be ours. And we will dwell in it for eternity. We have the gift of eternal life awaiting us when we endure when we stand on truth, when we seek righteousness in this life. Jesus goes on to say, and great is our reward in heaven. Matthew chapter 6, verse 20. He says, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. Say, Kevin, how will we have rewards in heaven? Will we really care if we have rewards in heaven? We will care if we have rewards in heaven. Not because of what it gives us, because it will glorify God. You see, when we're thinking about eternity, we have to think from the perspective of a pure mind. Total righteousness. In our pure minds, all we'll be concerned about is the fact that God is glorified and God will be glorified by the fact that we stored up our rewards in heaven. That will be for the purpose of it, is to glorify God completely. To give the honor where the honor is due. And when we seek to live a righteous life, when we face persecution in this life, because we're standing on the truth of God, those rewards will be placed in heaven for the honor and glory of God. You see, it's an eternal perspective. You've heard me say that term before too. You say, Kevin, there you go again. Talking about this eternal perspective. Talking about what is to come. But what about now? Thinking about eternity doesn't fix my marriage. It doesn't save innocent children. It doesn't bring peace in the world. But I contend this morning that it does. Thinking about eternity will bring peace in the midst of those situations. Will give us strength to endure them. Because you see, sin is the cause of trials in our lives. Sin is the cause 
of hardships. Our sin and the sin of others cause a lot of pain, cause a lot of suffering, cause a lot of tears because we refuse to address the sin in our own hearts, our own motivations. But when we do address those things, freedom comes. As we said before, the circumstances don't always leave. But the power to overcome them, the power to face them, is full and real. Philippians chapter 1, verse 29. For it has been granted to you that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in Him, but also suffer for His sake. We suffer for His sake. We believe in what He did in over 2,000 years ago when He came and walked on this earth and was persecuted, was crucified, was resurrected in victory over sin and death. When we put our faith and trust in that truth, in the gift that was given to us, the salvation that was given to us through His ultimate sacrifice, then we can endure the trials that we face on this earth due to sin, no matter whose sin it is. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Trials in this life push us toward righteousness, but only when we look to Christ in the midst of them. Persecution pushes us toward righteousness, but only when we look to Christ in the midst of it. When we get offended, when we choose to be offended, and in turn we get defensive, we get consumed and weary and broken down. But when we are confronted by persecution and we're looking to Christ and trusting in Christ, by His grace, the encouragement comes. By His grace, we are able to endure. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 10. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who has called you to His eternal glory and grace in Christ, will Himself... Restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. You say, but Kevin, it's hard. It's hard to face persecution. Yes, it is. And we don't always do it well, do we? This morning, I want to give you hope in that. I want you to know that just because you have fallen to persecution, just because you have reacted in your flesh to persecution. Just because you've doubted in the midst of persecution does not mean that you are not walking with Christ. Does not mean that you are not covered by the grace of God. We've looked at the promises in Scripture and they are true. They are solid for us to stand on. But there are also examples in Scripture of some great men who stood in the face of persecution. First Kings, and we won't turn there, but 
in chapters 18 through 21 accounts the stories. It begins with Jezebel killing off, attempting to kill off all of the prophets of God. She was tired of hearing them. She was tired of dealing with them. They were persecuting her in a way, not really, but they were offensive to her. To stick with our definition, to hold true to it. Yes, they were being very offensive to her because she didn't like what they were saying. They were going against what she was doing and she really wanted to keep doing what she was doing. So she attempted to have all of them killed off. Obadiah hid a hundred of them from her and saved their lives. He was faithful. Because of that, Elijah approached him and told him to help him find a way to appear before the king. Obadiah was doubtful. Even though by faith he had hidden these prophets, he said, I've done enough. But yet he was faithful. And he made the way for Elijah to come before the king. And Elijah was hated. Jezebel had nothing for Elijah. Because he was standing for truth. Even in the midst of her great persecution, and it was persecution, she was trying to hush these prophets who were speaking against her. Yet Elijah stood and faced her and the king. And God did mighty things through him. But yet, as you read on through those chapters, you'll see where Elijah himself was discouraged. In the midst of his discouragement is when God visited him. He came in the wind. He said that he wasn't in the wind. He said he wasn't in these great sounds and natural happenings but he came in a still small voice he reassured Elijah in the midst of Elijah's questions and weariness even a great man like Elijah had those but yet he stayed firm and stood on the truth that he knew would carry him on the truth that he knew that would save the nation of Israel Another one is Jeremiah. If you read the book of Jeremiah, you see of the lot of the hard things that he spoke, that he wrote to the people of that time. And even Jeremiah, in his boldness, as you read his book, thought it was pointless at times. Got discouraged because he was human, just like we are. But yet God was faithful. And yes, these prophets suffered in different ways. There's many others in the Old Testament. There's those in the New Testament. We know that the apostles, 10 of them for sure, were crucified, were killed for their stand, for their faithfulness. Looking at Luke chapter 6, starting at verse 22, this is Luke's account of the very same beatitude that we're studying here this morning. And it's stated in a little more detail. Luke writes this way, Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you. You know, hate and exclusion are two words that are a little more familiar to us today, aren't they? We do feel the hatred of other people at times, don't we? The dislike. We do feel excluded by people. 
at times, don't we? And spurn your name as evil. Declare you evil on account of the Son of Man because of your relationship with Jesus Christ. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy. For behold, your reward is great in heaven. For so their fathers did to the prophets. Persecution is real. The pain of persecution is real. Getting weary in the midst of persecution is real. I encourage you this morning, don't seek persecution. Don't look for it out of pride or to put a chip on your shoulder. But when you are living a life that is honoring God, you should expect persecution. You should understand that persecution is coming. And it will not be fair. It will not be comfortable, but it will be a reality and an opportunity to mature, to grow, and to be a light, and to stand for Christ in His finished work. The movie trailer that you watched this morning is just before we began the service for the movie, I'm Not Ashamed. And God's timing is amazing because my wife, had, she watches out for these different faith-based movies and our, we as a family enjoy watching them a lot and it was just shipped it was just released this week Friday night we sat down as a family to watch this movie and I was just overwhelmed by the story of that young lady Rachel Scott many of you may not remember the name but you remember back in 1999 when the Columbine school shootings occurred, and you remember the account of the young lady who, when faced by the gunman, asked if she would renounce her God, and she refused to, and she was killed for it. You remember that part of the story, but if you're like me, you didn't know the backstory. You didn't understand what she had went through. You knew that she had paid the ultimate price with her life to stand firm in her faith. But how did she get to that point? Well, this movie tells her story based on journal entries that she had made. And what a powerful account it is. They tell the story of how she came to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And how she struggled in her life to be faithful. She was pressured to fit in. She wanted to be noticed by someone, anyone. And the movie accounts how she lived for that recognition, how she lived for companionship, how she struggled with that, and how she paid for that, and how she overcame that, and how in the, the months before her death, that she had not only surrendered her life fully to Jesus Christ, but she had become an outspoken advocate for him. And she went from being persecuted and cast out by her group of friends to being sought out by those who were in distress, who those were who were in trouble, because they saw in her that light that guides the ships. God rewarded her faithfulness in this life and no doubt rewarded her faithfulness for eternity. He used her in a mighty way 
as she faced her persecution. No, she wasn't perfect in it. No, you're not going to be perfect in it. But when you face persecution and you look to God in the midst of it, He will be faithful to you. You may suffer. You may even die. But when your eye is kept fixed on the truth of God, you will ultimately overcome and God will be glorified. God will be praised. Others will come to the kingdom through your faithfulness. Maybe one, maybe many. But others will notice not your great abilities, your great wisdom, your great knowledge, but they will notice, they will recognize the hand of God on your life. And they will be drawn to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Persecution is real. Persecution is hard. But persecution is an opportunity to glorify God and to bring others into the kingdom. How are you addressing persecution? How are you embracing persecution? Are you concerned about what it's costing you? Or are you understanding what it costs Christ? And are you understanding what is available to everyone when they surrender their lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ? No matter what that will cost them in this life. Because it will cost you. But ultimately, the rewards will be indescribable. Let's pray. Father, we come before you this morning, Lord. God, we praise you for your amazing love. We thank you for the power that you give us to face persecution. We thank you, Lord, that when we do turn our hearts to you, when we surrender our lives to you, when instead of making it about us, we make it about you, others are brought into the kingdom. Others are saved for eternity. Others are given the strength and the peace that they need to walk this life, Father. When we embrace you and when others embrace you, this life no longer seems impossible. It seems very possible in you, Father. It seems hopeful, hopeful being an expected reward, an expected deliverance. We thank you for that expectation, Father. God, help us each to address persecution in our lives that we may be facing at different degrees. Open our eyes to it. Give us hearts of concern, hearts of compassion for the persecutors. Hearts of compassion to understand the price that you paid so that we could overcome sin, so that we could be delivered from the eternal effect of sin. And stand in your presence to glorify, to praise you for eternity, Father. We thank you for that gift, God. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you please take out your red hymnals and turn to hymn number 546.
546. We're going to sing verses 1, 2, and 4.